Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me for round two on the show, I have James Furbush here on what we're calling the reunion tour. James, welcome back, man. What's up, Sam? Thanks for having me back. Yeah, so this has happened with a couple of our guests. Same face, new company. For you, it's it's kind of like that. Uh, you're now the VP of Marketing at Access One, and that was not your title. Uh, what, six months to a year ago when we did this? Can you tell us what's been going on? No, yeah, it was, it was not. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like um, our company got acquired. So Q squared, um, we had a good, good 10 month run. I think when I, we talked, maybe that was, I just was getting into it at Q squared. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had a good 10 months, um, sort of double, doubled AAR. Um, and then in December, mid-December, we got acquired by a larger company called Access One. They're in the patient financing space. So that's a really great overlap um, between what they do and what we do and our buyers and, and things like that. Um, so it's a, a great fit company-wise. Um, and, you know, I think we, we got acquired in December, like took two weeks off for the holidays, came back in the new year and it's um, learning new products, new teams, um, working on a rebrand, kind of doing all this stuff when you're kind of smashing two companies together and Mm -hmm. um, trying to make magic out of it. Yeah. So for those of you listening, James was on episode 137, um, which was probably about eight, 10 months ago. Uh, So you have the timeline, right? But that was a good talk if you want to go back and listen to it for sure. Um, So let me kind of like set the stage here for you, James. Um, Obviously, you guys went through this acquisition. You stayed on, joined the new company as VP of marketing. Um, Now you have a whole new strategic narrative that needs to be written and put on paper. And that is your job. Um, So I would love to walk through that. Uh, But the first question I have for you is how would you even define a strategic narrative? Because I think there's a lot of nuances with that. Um, I'd love to hear what direction you go with that. Yeah. And, it, and it's funny too. I think like um, when, especially now, when you use the term strategic narrative, um, shout out to Andy Raskin, who um, has completely owned that term, right? Like I think, I mean, Andy has done a good job of building his business off the back of that. And, and so I think, you know, most people, especially in LinkedIn marketing would understand the notion of a strategic narrative through that context of the way that Andy talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I think about it, you know, it's, it's a little bit, um, it's not too different from the, the way that Andy thinks about it, but, but essentially what it is, is you're, you're telling, you're telling these sort of industry you know, your, your reason for existing as a company, right? So um, this can be your sales deck, your pitch, you know, your pitch deck, your demo. Um, It is the story you bring to market um, and go to market with. um, And it is the reason why people should care about your company. I mean, in the, the 
at the most fundamental level, it's um, it's why do you, should people care about your company and what you can bring, um, what your products and your services can bring to a customer to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. Now, is this something that you had gone through before with you know being in marketing, or was this like, man, hitting the ground running? This is the first time I've really gone through an exercise like this. Yeah. Well, so, so yes. Um, I like in my career, you know, it's funny. It's, um, when I was at Athena health, which was the first, um, the first company I worked for and Athena health is a SaaS healthcare technology company. They're huge at this point. Um, and I started there. That was my kind of first marketing, my first job that I transitioned from when I was a journalist mm-hmm. and sort of transitioned to marketing and work there. Um, and it was, it's, you know, it was interesting to sort of work on sales pitch decks and, and things like that. Um, we're like, Oh, we're telling a story like in a pitch deck. And I mean, I don't really necessarily work in like PowerPoints and things like that. So that was kind of my first experience with it. And we had, you know, exceptional design, you know, art storytellers, um, shout out to, she's a chief marketing officer of Bowie health right now, but her name is Liz Kellogg. Um, and I learned a lot from her and a lot of what I have sort of applied to my own take on sales decks or pitch decks, that sort of strategic narrative work, I think really kind of comes from Liz. And, and it's interesting because what she was doing at the time, seven, eight years ago, very similar to um, Andy. So our decks at Athena were very much like, here's the big change that's happening in your universe. Like, here's, you know, it was very much about like the change impacting them. Here's like how our products can help you kind of like capture that change and kind of ride that wave and and things like that. Um, And so when Andy kind of came out with sort of his like strategic narrative framework for me, it was like, Oh, that's a no brainer. Like we're doing Mm -hmm. that at Athena health in some ways. Um, So that's really sort of the only framework that I've really kind of known when it comes to, to pitch decks. Um, and then, you know, at Q squared, um, you know, had to sort of work with the sales team a little bit, but, um, you know, their deck and our strategic narrative, you know, because, um, someone else who was there also came from Athena, right? Like he had that same framework for like when he put that deck together. So it was already pretty much mostly done. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at, um, access one, it's been interesting because, you know, again, they have just a different approach, right? So like they have their own uh, frame of reference and POV on how they sort of do that. Um, So this was really the first time, like going through that exercise of like, you know, how do we rejigger everything? How do these pieces fit together? Then getting buy-in, having to tweak it, presenting it, does this actually work? Mm And, and sort of going through that process, this has been that first time of, of having to sort of really go through that soup to nuts process um, for me and, and sort of leading that, you know, helping to, you know, lead that charge with a few other people. This might bring us down a rabbit trail, uh, but I'm, I'm curious to hear like what your thoughts are on it. Would you consider strategic narrative and positioning to be very similar, if not kind of the same thing? Oh, boy. Um like yes and no sort of like i think positioning probably helps inform your strategic narrative right so mm-hmm. positioning is almost like even more fundamental um 
the way I would think about it is, so at Q squared, we, um, we do mobile payments, right? But mobile payments are not, that is not necessarily something new, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like, frankly, um, if you go into any other industry, right? It's like, but the way that we position it is that like we're mobile payments for healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're very specifically positioned. um, Our technology is designed to help healthcare companies modernize their uh, payment collection approach. Mm -hmm. And so that is fundamentally like how we position the product. It's, it's payments, but for healthcare. Then on top of that, then you sort of layer on, like, then you have to like layer on the strategic narrative, which is like, okay, great. Well, why should anyone in healthcare care about adopting mobile payments? Right. And it's like, you know, we, you can go into kind of all the, the nitty gritty on that. That makes sense. So I would almost, I would almost see like positioning as like that sort of fundamental, um, I guess if, if you want, like we can use a house analogy, right? So the, the positioning is your foundation. Your strategic narrative is, is probably the framing and like the next thing that goes up after, you know, you've laid the foundation um, mm. for your house. Makes total and then, sense. you know, you lay your brand on top of that. Your brand is like, you know, the decorations and the siding and, you know, the fancy uh, pro chef kitchen or whatever that, you know, you might want to put in your house. But I, I would think just fundamentally, yeah, like position is your foundation. Um, and then after that you would layer like the strategic narrative or, um, or just whatever, you know, what, however you, that story that you want to tell in going to market, mm-hmm. um, would be sort of that next thing that you layer on top of, of your positioning. Yeah, that makes total sense. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so back to, I mean, positioning could be a whole nother podcast in itself for sure. Um, Dude, you got to get April Dunford <laughs> on your show. If you look, there's a I shout mean, out place, April. Yeah, everyone's listening to it, but uh, there's a book on my shelf behind me. Obviously, awesome by April Dunford. Great read for sure. Um, but I like what you said. They they do work in tandem, but totally different things. So that makes uh, a lot of sense for sure. Um, so when it comes to your strategic narrative that you guys have been working through and, and really kind of landed the plane on um, at Access One, can you walk us through what that process looked like? Um, just kind of at like a high level from start to finish and so we can kind of dissect that. Yeah. Um, so I think that the first thing is... Um, so for me, it's, it's, you know, I had to come into a whole new company and learn um, and digest very quickly, like this whole new product, um, which frankly, I, I still sometimes struggle with because patient financing, um, it's super important, it, it's, but it's also, uh, it's a finance product, right? It's, it's like banking, financing, it is not necessarily how my brain um works when you start getting into, you know, this nitty gritty on like interest and, you know, recourse and non-recourse and some of these terms, I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't, I don't understand half of what this product is or does or whatever. So like, that's the first thing, right? It's like trying to wrap my head around, okay, like what is this new product? And then 
it's like really trying to tr take a step back and and talk to stakeholders, um, the product team and sales guys, and really trying to get an understanding of like, okay, we've got these two products. How do these two products fit together? And then, um, and and really like once you get a sense of like those two products, it's like okay for me the way that I sort of think about my framework for a sales pitch deck or strategic narrative, you know, I would say that I think about it a little bit different than Andy. So the way that my brain works is I think very much in terms of like, um, like the structure of like a movie screenplay or like the hero's journey for, from uh, Joseph Campbell. Right. So, um, and I think that that, in some ways, broadly speaking, can work um, for most companies um, because it's like, essentially you've got like, it's like three acts, right? So you've got like, if it's a movie, you know, type thing, you've got like the setup is like act one. And the setup is like, what is happening in your industry, right? So this is like thinking about from a prospect or a buyer's perspective like what are the headwinds and challenges that they are going through mm -hmm. as it relates to your product um and so for that it's like okay like talking to sales talking to product talking to customers uh going out and figuring out like what are those challenges that they are are having and sort of coming and then like distilling that down into like a very distinct um you know, maybe it's like three or four slides or something, right? Where it's like, you know, you're essentially setting up the problem, which is, um, you know, I, I won't bore our audience with like healthcare related stuff, but I feel like every company does this, right? If, if you're a company and you are starting a company that is solving a problem, you should be able to figure out like what are like what are the challenges that your buyers are having because you know you're probably a buyer yourself right um if we want to put this in the frame of reference that maybe your audience understands like like think about drift right like drift went out to kind of create technology that was marketing automation but like so that there was an immediacy right it wasn't like there was any lag in terms of like talking to sales, using a chat bot, you know, doing all these things where um, it was like connecting a buyer to a seller and like doing that immediately. That, mm -hmm. that was like the problem they were trying to solve. And so like, you just think about that. And so like, that's your setup, right? It's like, this is, you do it for discovery. And I think it, this taking this approach works because it's great for sales. Like we're a very, um, we're very sales led motion um, at Access One, right? So this is, um, you know, I've been on demos or, or like this type of thing with a lot of like product led growth companies and mm -hmm. they'll just jump right into like, can you see my screen? Like I'm going to just jump into the sandbox environment, you know, without any context or setup. And that's like totally fine. I think if you're a product led growth company that works, but we're very sales led growth. Um, we're very sales led go to market motion. So that setup and that first part of the deck that we do is very much intended to um, anchor the buyer, get them to see like the point of view, do a little bit of discovery and get 
them to feel comfortable about like what we're about to show them related to like the product and the results and things like that. But mm -hmm. um, does that make sense? So I know that was a very long-winded answer. No, totally. Um, so and you call that the got, setup is what you're, you were saying, right? Kind of like I that call movie. it the setup. Yeah. If you think about like the hero's journey, like this is like the departure, like, okay, like we're about to go on a journey. Um, and, and that is like really trying to reflect the buyer's world back to them um, and get them primed to be in a frame of reference, reference where they're receptive to the other things that you're going to show them. Um, so that's kind of the first part. The second part, you know, is very much like, um, you know, if, if this is, uh, the hero's journey, the second part is like the initiation or like the conflict. But for me, it's this, the second part is very much like, okay, we're going to get the, we're going to just show you our freaking product. Mm -hmm. Um, because one of the things that I think is a challenge for the way that like Andy Raskin does strategic narrative and this is like no knock on him. Um, but if you look at that, like the Zuora sales deck, right. That like everyone, you know, mm -hmm. you can Google it um, for people listening, just go out and Google like the best sales deck ever. And Andy Raskin's article on Zuora will be the first thing that shows on Google. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, just Google like the best sales deck ever. It'll be the top listing. You'll find the article easily enough. The cool thing is that I think Zuora now also makes that deck available for free if people want to download it. It's gated content, just FYI. Um, but you can easily get your hands on it to like read Andy's article and then actually see the deck that they're talking about. Um, but what's interesting is that the deck for me is all set up. It's like 30 slides of setup. And so you get to this end of this deck and you're like, absolutely. Like the world has changed. I need subscription-based technology. But then you're left wanting like, but what the hell does Zuora do? Like, what are their products? Like, what are they selling me? So for me, I do think it's key. To, you have to include like what it is. Like you got to include something on your products, like what it is you sell how it's actually going to like address the problems that you've set up. And, and so that natural second section is really, I think, you know, you can really go into, okay, what it is you do? How do those products address the problems that you're setting up? How are you going to make the buyer's life better? Mm -hmm. Cause at the end of the day, no one gives a shit about your product. They give a shit about like, are you going to be able to solve this problem that I'm having? Like I have a problem and that problem could be, you know, for our, us and in our industry, it's like um, hospitals and health systems, like our buyers, like they lose a ton of revenue because patients have a hard time paying their bills mm -hmm. or they can't pay their bills. And so for us, it's like, you know, we have one product that makes it easy to, for patients to pay their bills, which leads to more revenue faster and blah, blah, blah. And then we have a financing. So if patients can't pay their bills, rather than have that patient, you know, go into collections or medical debt, it's like, we have this other product that like patients can pay for their healthcare over 12 payments, you know, zero free, you know, interest-free payments over 12 months. Right. So we mm -hmm. have like our products solve the problems that, you know, we've sort of tried to identify and discovery. 
So I think that that's important, right? Because like at the end of the day, if you're a buyer, it's like the big questions you are going to try to ask any vendor is, is this problem going to, is this software service going to solve my problem and how much is it going to cost me? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, don't, like, don't you think like yeah. Sam, like, don't you think like those are the two biggest questions that any buyer ever has? And it's like, you have to answer them. Yeah. You do. So I think like in that second section, like that is the time to address like those questions that your buyer is going to have. Um, and that could even be like implementation and some of those like nitty gritty, right. There's probably, you know, four or five questions that every buyer, you know, might have. Um, and so that's the time to sort of address that. I think, right. It's like a natural tee up of like, okay, like you have these problems, like let's show, like, I want to show you like how we address those problems and what we're going to do for you. Mm-hmm. And so then you can kind of do that. Um, so that's how I think about that. The second section, the third section, um, you know, it's kind of like the resolution, right? Mm-hmm. It is like the, um, it is like, okay, like problems have been solved. Um, and now our hero is in a better state as a result of solving those problems. And honestly, this is the time where you hammer home, like the results, mm-hmm. like the benefits got, versus the features, the, the benefits. It's like, dude, you know what? Like here, like we've got these great customers, like, you know, show your customer logo slide. Like we work with other great customers and like, here are the results we're driving home for them. Right. So this what is, does it turn them into at the end of the day? What is it? It's like, doesn't matter it if it's into? B2B, yeah. the, it's buyers, they're humans. So what, what's like the aspirational identity that you're going to create in them? Super interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's exactly it. You're, you're leaving them with that sort of like aspirational, like if you get you know, if you become our customer, like we're hoping that we're going to turn you into what we've done for these other customers. Um, yeah. And so you sort of leave them with that sort of aspirational um, at the end. And it's interesting because I think like when you look at a lot of like decks, that's um, a, a lot of companies tend to front load. It's like the logo slides in the beginning, the um, sometimes the results or the customer stuff is like at the beginning, but I think sort of there's a natural like save that to the end, um, and leave them with like the, um, you know, we're gonna drive more revenue or whatever it is that you, whatever problems you have said in the beginning, you should have results like tangible results and metrics that you have, um, done for, um, existing customers. And so like put those at the end and tie it back to the beginning to be like, and Oh, by the way, like, we're not just blowing smoke. Like we have solved these problems and driven these results, like for customers, just like you. Um, and so then I think that leaves them with sort of, it's like, like the crescendo. It leaves them with that positive feeling at the end that like, that's like, Oh, okay, cool. Like this is, this is legit. Um, so that is at, at the very basic, like that is how I think about it. It's like using sort of a movie structure or like hero's journey structure mm-hmm. to like, do the same thing um, and tell that's a very similarly structured story, um, but in a sales and B2B context. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think I didn't realize it, but um, one of my favorite marketing books is Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Oh, sure. Probably, probably one of the earliest marketing books that I read. And I'd never realized how closely that ties into 
strategic narrative. And at a high level, it kind of is a strategic narrative. It's a story. And I never really connected the dots there. I, I think so. Right. And I, I think, um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like, everybody talks about like, well, if you're, you gotta be a brand story. I haven't honestly haven't read Donald Miller's book. Frankly, it's, it's on my nightstand. Um, uh, you gotta get and, to it, man. It's a good one. I, I know it, it is one of those books. Um, I'm making, I'm actually making my way through, um, April Dunford's obviously awesome right now. Um, but I know that, I know, you know, this, right. Uh, when you're a parent of like young children, um, sometimes I get to the end of the month and I'm like, well, I read Dr. Seuss 75 times. <laughs> yeah. and, um, yes. Yep. You know, it's like, sometimes the only books I read are, uh, you know, books for a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, so at some point, yes, I will have, hopefully have time uh, for myself to read Donald Miller's story brand. But it is, I, I, I think like, it, it's not, you know, when people talk about like a brand story and um, and in some ways, right? Like being better storytellers and your like things like that. It's not overly complicated, right? It, it is like, sometimes it can be as simple as like setup, conflict, resolution, you know, hero's journey, like departure, initiation, mm-hmm. return. Um, there are a lot of good frameworks out there, I think that are, are very simple and can definitely be applied to, um, you know, the obvious place I do think is a sales deck. Um, but that can be applied to, you know, um, blogs and, and other things as well. Yeah. Even down to like your website, uh, messaging is typically what I'll, um, apply it to more often than not. And this is super funny. I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know if you remember this, but obviously you mentioned like, Hey, like if you want a reference to that, uh, what is it? The best sales deck ever. You just Google it. Yeah. Uh, I had read a post on LinkedIn. I think it was uh, MJ Peters put it up a while ago, just saying, "Hey, okay. this is at our company. You know, we went through this strategic narrative. Yeah. Like we all know the article." And I was the guy that said, "Like, well, what's the article?" <laughs> and then, uh, oh, that- and then you commented after she was so nice. She's like, "Hey, Sam, here it is." You were like, "You put it a, a GIF," and you're like, "Just Google it." <laughs> yes. Uh- I think what so, is it is like let me let me Google that for you. Yes, yeah, there we go. You? Yes, and uh, now like, everyone knows how much of a troll you are. I, well, okay, so yes, I am, and I can be a lovable asshole uh, quite a bit. Um, what I will say is that I would only be that much of a condescending jerk to the people that I love most in in uh, life. And so what I was saying is you should feel very honored. Hey, I am uh, so honored. I that, laughed. Like, we have, that we you have like, laugh, reached dude. that place <laughs> where uh, with a with a smirk and a wing, uh, I'm just like busting, busting your chop. The problem is that I grew up in a in an Irish Catholic family where the only way that we, you know, uh, show love to one another is by like being overtly mean. And so um it's the only way I know how to like show appreciation is like busting chops. Well, um, hey, you got to laugh out of me when I saw that because it was, I thought it was super funny, but. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it is funny too. Cause like that is with the, um, that best sales. I mean, it is literally, if you just Google like best sales deck, it, it's like, it's the number one thing. It's not even anything else comes up. It's mm-hmm. just like that Andy Raskin uh, article, but um, 
What's funny is that it was written like six. He wrote that in like 2015. It's still and hanging like, out. <laughs> number it's one, still isn't hanging it? out. It's still number. It's still super relevant. Um, it is funny when you do look at that article, how much um, really ahead of the curve he was in sort of putting that together. Um, that it has taken almost seven years for like the industry in some ways to, to catch up and get on board with like the vibes that he was putting out um, so long ago. So it's just typical uh, B2B for you right there. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is, it's um, cause again, like, and, and to go back to like the strategic strategic narrative, like I've seen this a lot too, with like other companies as well, where it's like, you get this deck and it's like, Hey, like we're a SaaS company. It's like, we've gotten, you know, like the first slide, it's like, you know, we have a series B 250 million in VC from blah, 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 blah. And it's a little bit like, dude, do you think your buyer gives a shit about your VC funding? Like not really, (laughs) not at all. Like not at all. Like, I don't care if a company is bootstrapped, has the VC funding, is publicly traded. As a buyer, it's like, I have a problem and I want you to recognize, seller, that you understand my problem. And then I want you to walk me through, like, very pointedly, like, what you're going to do to help me solve that problem. And I think like, again, the way that I approach like a strategic narrative or or a deck, like just thinking about it as like a three act story that you're telling Mm -hmm. um, really can help focus, uh, you know, the story that you're telling so that you're removing all that bullshit that like your buyer ultimately, that sounds good, that you think sounds good, that people should care about, but ultimately they really don't. Mm -hmm. How did you pressure test yours? Did you, did you talk to customers during, before, after? I mean, I'm sure you talked before. What about like after? Because obviously as marketers, we look at it and we're like, this is amazing. This is the best thing I ever created. Yeah. And then someone looks at it, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't get it. What yeah. did you do with that? Yeah. We, so for me, it's like, it, it's a lot of like running through. It's a lot of meetings where you're like, okay, stakeholders. So honestly, a lot of it is like stakeholder buy-in first. Mm-hmm. So like running through and tweaking it and getting it to a place that um, feels good. And so you're, you're on a thing, you know, you're on a call or, or a presentation with like, like the head of sales and it's like, okay, like Peter, like I am going to run you through this, like as if you are a prospect and please forgive me. Cause I haven't really ironed out the talk track yet, but like, mm-hmm. this is what I've got so far. And then you know, when, and when you do that, when you verbalize it, you're going through the slides and the animation, whatever else it is, and you're running through that. I mean, sometimes you can, you can get a sense of where you're like, ah, this doesn't work, or these aren't the right stats, or we need something different. Um, so it was a lot of that to get it to an MVP state. And then honestly, a lot of it, um, because we're building the airplane on, on the, like, I think we got it to a place that was pretty good. And then we just started like pushing it out the door for sales. Cause like they had demos and, and different things coming up like meetings and, and all that. And so for us, it's like, okay, this is like a living thing. It's not set in stone. You know, we've got it 80% good enough. And like, you guys can start using it, but then like give us feedback. So like, as you're using it, mm-hmm. 
um, give us feedback. And, and so, yeah, we've, we've made tweaks, you know, since we kind of rolled it, rolled it out based on, um, based on different things too. Like, you know, it's interesting with, um, like pricing. So a lot of our, our initial problem setup and stuff like that was, um, very patient focused. It was like, you know, people don't have savings. They can't afford to pay healthcare bills, like all this stuff. And since we've done it, um, inflation has gone through the roof. So I'm sure you've felt this at home, like yeah. just as like a regular person, like dudes, like it, you know, my gas, you know, filling my gas tank used to cost me 40 bucks. Now it cost me 80. Like mm-hmm. I used to spend $130 at the grocery store. Now it's 200 mm-hmm. and like these real everyday things, like my heating bills, you know, they filled up my oil tank i unfortunately you live in upstate new york so you know right like winters are cold and whatever and yeah i've got an old house i'm like man they filled up that oil tank and the guy like handed me that bill and i was like how bad is it and he was like you don't even want to look and and i like i took a peek and it was like oh cool like my my oil tank it now costs 5x to fill up my oil tank (laughs) as it did last winter so these are like real cost pressures that like everyday people are facing and 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 so like knowing that we went and like added a i went and got a cost you know the consumer price index that like increased and it was like you know consumer prices have increased eight percent and we just put that in with sort of this other these other stats we had but now it gives sales like a real reason to talk about like look buyer like your patients do you Mm -hmm. think a doctor bill is a priority for your patients when like they can't fill their gas tank or now they can't buy groceries or their heating bill they can't afford to heat their house like Mm -hmm. what do you think they're going to prioritize and so it gives them another talking point to like as an entryway to talk about like why financing matters like why the ability for a patient to pay their bill essentially on layaway over, you know, many, um, you know, over several payments instead of like one big payment, like mm-hmm. why that would matter and why they should like offer that to patients. So for us, it's, it's, yeah, it is like you get it to a place where it's 80% good. But I think the thing about the strategic narrative is like, in some ways you should always be tweaking it, like based on the realities, um, based on, you know, uh, competitors or just based on, other external factors that you should be paying attention to, like you should be tweaking um, your go-to-market deck, you know, every quarter, like you should be revisiting. It's like, what can we change? What can we improve? What feedback have we gotten? Um, so, yeah, so, so uh, we, we did a lot of pressure testing internally um, just to tie back to your question, but we did a lot of pressure testing internally. And now we're kind of doing tweaking based on external feedback that we get, you know, sales will say, well, this part of the deck hung up, or I need more slides for this deck, or, um, you know, this is only, this opportunity is only for this specific product. So I need to tweak some stuff based on that. So we're, we're working through that now. Um, and I think, that'll just be kind of an ongoing thing just based on like that ongoing feedback process that we're, we're always trying to do. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I love hearing the process about all that. Um, super cool how you approach, you know, the setup conflict resolution. I love hearing that and just taking parts from 
you know, Andy Raskin's article and other areas that you've learned. I think that's really some good unlocks for sure. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah. And I, and I would say too, right. Like part of it is figuring out what works for your business. Mm-hmm. Like what, like, what are the, re, like, if you're PLG, you're going to approach it differently. If you're, you know, whatever industry, I think there's a way that you're going to approach it based on, are you a large company? Are you a small company? Are you publicly traded? Are you VC? Like there's all going to be all those, like all the ingredients that go into the soup that make your company unique. I think you should pull like bits and pieces and approaches. Like, I mean, frankly, the movie screenplay structure might not work for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if you're trying to create a category, like maybe you want to do the Andy Raskin thing. Um, And so I think, yeah, like taking bits and parts and making it work for your company, you got to, you got to kind of play around with it and um, kind of figure out what, what works based on, you know, based on your, based on your own business. But this is kind of the approach that worked for us. And I I think it's worked pretty well. Well, awesome, man. Um, coming up on time. So let's, uh, let's shift some gears here to what I, we started doing a couple of new things. So we asked the same questions on every episode to hear what people say. Um, first one for you in regard, and let me preface this. If you've been at access one a little bit too short for this to really have an answer, that's cool. Um, but in regards to website strategy, uh, what's something you've recently tried and did it work or did it not work? Um, too, yeah, probably too short at access one. We're in the process actually of like redoing our website based on the narrative and mm-hmm. all this stuff. So we're kind of in the thick of it right now, um, with that. So yeah, that, that's probably for us on the website, probably too, too early to, to tell. Um, but that's, that's a good one. Cause we're, we're kind of right now we're pulling it all apart and figuring out, yeah. um, one of the that'll be episode. That'll be our third episode together. We'll have to do. Well, that. <laughs> I know. It's, well, because it's interesting for us, right? So we, you know, a lot of it's interesting. Like a lot of um, so we we're B two B, um, but most of our web traffic comes from patients, and so we get most of our form fills are patients um, who are looking for patient financing or need help paying their bill or, or whatever mm. it is. So what we're, what I'm trying to like pull apart is like how to better serve patients while also making it clear that like, you know, we are a B2B buyer, like having a website that is for our buyer while also not, not ignoring the patient aspect of it. So that's going to be like a fun challenge for me. Sounds um, almost like you need almost like a pretty uh, bold section in your nav menu that just says patient login and then the rest of the site is for B2B is kind of what I'm thinking there, but could be wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, so again, like part three, we could just talk about uh, <laughs> B2B to B2C website development. It is like, so tricky. I think that's the question I get asked the most is like, Hey, you know, we're traditionally B2C. Like we're, we're working with a company right now and it's, Hey, we're traditionally B2C. Uh, but our new go-to-market motion is going to be B2B focused but we still have B2C uh, roots coming to the website. Like how do we navigate this? And it's, I, I do get that question a lot. That is a tricky one for sure. Oh, it's hard. And there's like no good way. I mean, someone was like, Oh, you could, have you thought about just having like, you know, when they come to the website, like, are you a patient or are you, 
a, a buyer or something. I figured what they said, but I'm like, but that sucks. Like having like a self-identify, like you go to the website and have to like self-identify. It's like right in the split in half. You have to choose which side split you want. In half you have to yeah. choose. And it's like, that isn't like as someone like I feel, um, then it, I don't know. It doesn't feel icky, but it also doesn't feel great as like you, cause you just want to go to a website and the mm. company and just get the information you, you need. So yeah, that'll be a, a fun, I might have to pick your brain later on mm-hmm. that um, for sure. Absolutely, man. Um, all right. Well, the next question is uh, before coming on this podcast or any podcast, what's like a question in the back of your mind that you're like, man, I just wish someone would ask me this question on a podcast. That'd be really cool. Um, I'm not going to answer, but um, I'll, <laughs> I'll take the fifth. But what I will say is uh, what do you hate most about LinkedIn marketing? Hmm. Like what bothers you the most about LinkedIn marketing? Because I was saying to this someone to the other day, like, I don't know if you're on like Instagram, but there's this like moment where like all of a sudden Instagram just starts making you feel sad about your life. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I don't need this. This is like, that's not how I feel about Facebook, to be honest. Yeah, it's that's Facebook, Facebook, right? It's like, yeah. it's like Facebook had the same thing. You know, at some point, like every social media probably has this happen to it where you just, like the flip is switched and you no longer get enjoyment from it. And I feel like LinkedIn is starting to trend that way for me in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's all I'll say about it. Um, But that would be one of the questions that, yeah, uh, no one asks. Uh, It's a very negative question, but uh, you know, could be full of hot takes. Um, (laughs) That might have to be a whole nother episode in itself, man. We're kind of like getting a whole list of things to talk about next time. I know. Uh, cool. Well, to close us out, if you want to ask me any questions, I think, I don't remember if we did this the first time, but, um, you might we be ready did. for it. And I actually, and I think I actually asked you about LinkedIn as a, maybe as <laughs> like a lead gen building your brand on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, um, what I want to ask you about is, so you recently sent of my DMS on, um, about like website, like who owns a website at a company. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting. I think it was, it was almost, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's doing some like ICP work and messaging. And so I'd love to hear more um, about, and you could share that with Mm -hmm. um, like, how are you using that, approaching it to, you know, under better understand your ICP and buyer and how that would like reflect on your website messaging and, and things like that. Yeah. So for context, I had reached out to, James, obviously about, um, I think it was along the lines of, Hey, who is it that either one is like the main decision maker when it comes to a website or has the keys to the website. And the reason I had asked is because through the grapevine of just talking to people, some in the industry, some not some looking from the outside, it said like, Hey, product engineering is really who has, you know, access to the site and is making changes, even though marketing tells them what to do. I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. Even though in the past we have had only marketers work with us and reach out to us about websites, right? So I really was actually starting to guess, second guess myself. So I reached out to James and a, num- a number of other people in the industry. And I think this is could be a, a, a good unlock and takeaway for some is like, I immediately went to people that like could buy from us and who are yeah. people in the industry and straight up asked them and not in a salesy yeah. way. Like, hey, by the way, like who, who owns your website? It was like, hey, friend to friend here, like, I'm curious, like, what is the org chart? And it was very interesting, the answers that we got. 
And it wasn't necessarily to redo our messaging because we had actually just gone through that. It was more of a confirmation of like, hey, are we doing it right? Or do we need, are we totally approaching it wrong? And you obviously gave me some really good insights. Another thing that I think was interesting is I put a, a poll in a Facebook group of, of yeah. SaaS marketers. I don't know if you're in that group or not, but I put it in there got a lot of uh, interesting insights as well. And at the end of the day, it came back to like talking to buyers, talking to customers yeah. and talking to people uh, that you trust the industry and just be like, Hey, what is, what is this? It was a simple question. It wasn't like I needed an essay. And it was perfect. So hopefully that's helpful for some people. No, it's like super helpful. Cause like, what if it turned out that like your buyer was really like <laughs> this like weird product yeah. engineer or something, mm-hmm. right? Where you're like, oh my God, even that, I mean, having that insight where you're like, oh my God, there's this whole other buyer out there that mm-hmm. I didn't even know I should be targeting. Um, that was when I was working for a company called Mercado it's really interesting. They were initially selling. So they do um, like intelligent automation. They do like, it's almost like Zapier, but like specifically for businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were selling to like IT. So they were initially targeting like, you know, um, head of IT or like the CIO or something like that. And then it turned out when they like looked at um, their buyer and they went through this exercise, there was this whole other buyer called like the head of like business systems or something there was like this entirely new buyer that they didn't even know about that was like buying their product by and large. And it like just totally opened up their business mm-hmm. and like totally changed the game for them. And to your point, like you got to do that, Sam, like you, yeah. you have to go through that exercise. Cause like, what if actually like marketing wasn't your buyer? What if mm-hmm. like the head of product turned <laughs> out to be your buyer? Mm-hmm. Uh, it would like completely change your business. Yeah. You know, well, you know, what's interesting is, is, in our conversation and the conversations I have with others, it was like, Hey, who owns the website? Is it marketing or is it your product engineering team? And pretty much 90% said it was, it was marketing. Right. And some said, Hey product, uh, they have a pretty big influence on like what gets done because they built the website and the, our product in tandem, which, okay, that makes sense early on early stages. But what was interesting is when I put the poll, the group was, uh, DGMG or well, he just rebranded exit, exit, exit five. There we go. Yeah. Um, I put the poll in there and instead of saying product versus marketing, I actually broke it down to say, Hey, who owns it? Is it demand gen? Is it brand? So is it product marketing? Uh, is it someone, someone put uh, C-suite owns it. And then I also put product engineering one, no one voted at least as of now product engineering. But what was really interesting and one of the unlocks that I had was like demand gen actually owns the website the majority of the time, at least on that poll, right? And it's a super small sample size, but it's so nuanced, but it is interesting if people are listening to this as marketers and maybe that is something you're struggling with, like, well, who should have the keys here? Um, There were some pretty good insights in the comment section when it comes to org org structure. So if you're in that group, that might be a good one to check out. Yeah, it's just, I mean, this would go like super down a a rabbit hole and I got to drop here in a second. But, you know, for us, if you think about a website in some ways, it is just like another demand gen channel, like no Mm -hmm. different than email and, and, and like, and so if it is a a marketing channel, it's like who owns all the channels and, you know, oftentimes that is just demand gen. And so uh, that is, that's fascinating too, that, um, 
thinking about like which team in marketing. Cause like sometimes it's owned by creative, sometimes it's mm-hmm. owned by brand, sometimes it's can be demand. Like that's a whole other fascinating conversation too, of like who should own yeah. a website at a larger company when you at the at the end of the day, teams. what I what I learned from the poll is like if you're listening to this, you're probably not doing it wrong because everyone does it differently. But it was oh, just it was so it was so interesting. So if you're listening to this, uh you know don't that feel should bad. be your take. Yeah, yeah. don't feel it. There's always Don't that. A, There's a million different ways to do things in marketing and yeah. your way is probably half wrong and half right. And so yeah. like, just keep going. Well, awesome, man. This was a lot of fun. I know you have to, to jet here in a second, but James, thanks for coming back on the reunion tour. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a few days here, knowing that we're going to be oh doing this. So thanks so much, man. And I appreciate your marketing wisdom. This was, this was great. Oh man. Thanks, Sam. A uh, huge honor. Um, honestly, huge honor. Uh, so thanks for having me back on, man. I was, uh, so appreciate it. I love talking to you. And uh, yeah, let's start thinking about round three. Hey, you got it, man. Absolutely. <laughs>